Hey everybody, welcome to this Board Game Life episode number 23 titled Tempest and the Winds of Change. This episode was recorded on various times between November 1st and November 23rd, 2012 in the This Board Game Life studios. This is a show where we talk about living the board gaming life, including uh, the games themselves, the people that play them, maybe some industry talk, and who knows what else we might feel like talking about. There's a lot of stuff planned for the show this week, but before we get on with the show, there's a couple of things that I need to cover real quick, a couple orders of business. Um, First off, you might have noticed that episodes 22 and 23 were a little delayed, and the show sounds a little bit different than before. Uh, That's because my co-host Jeff has decided to retire from the show uh, shortly after we recorded episode 22, so that uh, delayed the release of 22 a little bit. I'm sure uh, much of this, or this is as much of a shock uh, to you listeners as it was to me. He's had a sudden loss of interest in the hobby, and he's uh, purged uh, quite a few of his games already, so I'm sure we'll be in touch Uh, as our wives and our kids are friends, but from now on, I guess I'll be bringing games on over to his house, (laughs) which is good because then it means we play what I want to play. So starting with episode 22, I'm doing the full editing of the show, which will result in the show sounding a little bit different with the intros. Um, Hopefully the quality is going to go up. I've been doing some changes down and behind the scenes Hopefully, uh, it's it's all for the better. Then, uh, for those of you that are on Twitter, I've set up a Twitter account for this board game life. The account is T Board Game Life. It's not this; it's just T Board Game Life. Uh, it's been up and going for the past few weeks, and I'm trying to get some regular posts on there uh, with interesting news, show info, conversations uh, between people. So I'd love to have you guys follow us. Again, the account is T-Board Game Life. Then there's also a Facebook group, This Board Game Life. So if you're on Facebook, come on, join the group. I haven't really done too much with it, but I'd like to uh, definitely step that up a little bit. Uh, we've had some great success with this Xbox Life using uh, the Facebook group. We've actually fully replaced our forums with uh, the Facebook group. So it, it's really cool. You can post pictures and and videos. We've got some. We've had some uh, really interesting submissions from the listeners on there. So you know, check out uh, the this board game life Facebook group. Then for the website, there's been a couple of changes over the past couple of weeks. Just starting to change the look of the site just slightly. Uh, nothing too big, at least not right now. Uh, The one thing that I've added uh, to the site is an interesting new way to contact the show. Uh, If you go to the site on the main page, actually any page, on the right-hand side, you'll see a a new widget that says leave voicemail. And you can do just that. So you can leave uh, a comment for the show off the website just by using your microphone. You don't need to call in. And, you know, for those listeners that were out of country, you know, out, not in the U.S. This is a great way to communicate with the show. And uh, you leave a voicemail on there and you can get yourself heard on the show. So I encourage you uh, to give that a try. It's a lot easier than having to do the MP3s and all that other good stuff. 
Then last bit of news is that I want to reach out to the community and get some guest hosts to come on the show, either for a full seg- full show or a segment. It's you know, kind of up to you. Uh, you can do either. Uh, this is something that we've been doing regularly on this Xbox Life, our, our sister show, and it's been a huge success. The, the listeners have loved being on the show. And uh, this last episode that we did, episode 216, uh, that we recorded, we actually had four guests on. It was an awesome show. It was a lot of fun to record. So I know our listeners are very passionate about the hobby, and I see that all the time based on the posts that you guys have posted on the Guild and on Board Game Geek and on our comments section of the website. So, you know, I'd definitely love to have you guys on. So uh, please let me know uh, by one way or another, either geek mail or email, and we'll arrange something uh, to get you on on a future show. Before we get on with the show, I wanted to cover a comment that we got for episode 21 from listener Carl G. He wrote in a great comment about uh, solo gaming stigmas, so I wanted to read that to you. So he writes in, Great show, guys. I thought I would drop a few comments concerning solo gaming stigmas. I think there are a few reasons that there are stigmas surrounding it. First of all, there's the competitive angle. Like I've said to people when explaining this hobby, board gaming lets me compete mentally in a similar way to how basketball lets me compete physically. Playing against yourself means you're there making 100% of the decisions, but none of your time is spent in meaningful, in regards to competition, uh, decision-making. No matter what you do, you both win and lose. Sure, you can push yourself to play better, but at the end of the day, you won't know how you stack up against other players. Now, by practicing a game, you can get better, honing your skills for competitive play, much like shooting hoops or practicing dribbling. And if I had other competitive gamers to play against, solo playing might be an option. My problem is I play more games than anyone else I regularly play against. I have an advantage. Do I really need to practice more? For me, solo gaming holds zero appeal as it's not competitive and would only widen the gap needlessly against my experienced opponents. Secondly, there is the how it is designed to be played angle. Many video games are designed with the understanding that gamers will be playing solo. Many board games are not. Playing these multiplayer games solo is equivalent to the guy that plays chess by himself. Sure, he's a nice enough guy, but that's just a little weird. I think that some people simply think that it would be too geeky to play these games solo. I know I would. I embrace my hobby as a great way to intelligently compete with my friends, but I would be a little embarrassed to have my friends pop over and see me playing one all by my lonesome. I guess this all has to do with categorization. There are things that are generally accepted as solo activities like reading, video games, watching TV, etc., and things that are generally accepted as solo or as social activities. If you personally view board gaming in the second category, you'll likely to have a negative reaction to solo gaming. Lastly, there's the aspect of time well spent. I'm sure I'm not the only one that has a spouse that thinks I spend too much time on BGG and board gaming. While surfing, BGG can seem like something I squeeze in and board gaming is enjoying this hobby of mine, I think my wife would perceive solo gaming as addictive behavior. 
as in seriously, you're actually going to dedicate a block of time to play a board game with yourself. If you have that block of free time, why aren't you doing blank instead? I might be in the minority there, but I don't think I am. On a side note, I've personally had two experiences with solo gaming. The first was a Bible school where I would deal out four hands of Rook and practice my bidding, seeing how I would see how it would likely play out. I did this because there was a competitive Rook community there and I wanted to be more competitive or the best. But I did this in the privacy of my room and felt a little awkward if people found out. However, there was such a hardcore Rook group, it wasn't too socially awkward as there were already too, as they were already too hardcore. All of us usually carried a Rook deck on our person and we would play at least three hours a day. The other experience was when I played uh, one play of Flashpoint Fire Rescue by myself. I felt a bit awkward playing it by myself, but since it's designed to be played by oneself and the game system doesn't really change with more players, I was fine playing it, although more players is preferred. Anyways, just a few thoughts. Happy gaming, Carl. Hey, that was a, a, a great comment, Carl. Uh, very good points in there. I know for some of us, at least me in particular, you know, solo gaming isn't really something that we do out of choice. It's sometimes we do it out of necessity because we can't, you know, we don't have that game group that's always available to us or a regular gaming meeting. So uh, I usually do solo gaming when I'm trying to learn a game just because sometimes it's it's so hard to learn a game with other people. I mean, people get bored and, you know, distracted. And also solo gaming, again, is, is done out of necessity. And if I was going to do solo gaming, you know, I would probably do video game <laughs> or whatnot, you know, because, you know, video games, like you said, were designed to be solo, mobile games or, or whatnot. The board games, no matter what it is, it's it's definitely more of a social activity. So great, great, great points. And I agree with you with what your wife would probably think, as I believe mine thinks the same also. All right. Thanks again. All right. Before we get on with the main meat of the program, we've got a whole bunch of games lined up for this week because we've got a little bit of a backlog since last show was recorded at the end of September. And now we're, uh, we're into uh, mid-late no November already. So uh, one thing I wanted to mention real fast was that uh, thing that Jeff and I had been talking about a little bit uh, last, I don't know, half year or so was having our wives on the show. So uh, I guess that's no longer possible to have our wives on the show, but I can have my wife on the show, and I'd like to introduce her to you guys. Um, her name is Wendy. Hi, everybody. I am really thrilled to be able to finally be on the show. So I want to give a shout out to Jeff. Yay. I get I get to be on the show. I'm excited. All right. And I'm glad to have you here because, you know, I think it's it's very uh, cool to have you on here because a lot of the gaming that I do is actually with you. So. Uh, but also, yeah. you know, it's a different perspective. It's from a, a woman's point of view. I'm a newbie to board gaming. So I think this is going to be a great dynamic. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, one thing uh, I'd like to give everybody a little bit of history here. 
was that, you know, I had gotten out of the hobby for a couple of years. Um, and then, I don't know, about three, four years ago, I started getting back into it gradually. And Wendy had never really played any hobbyist board games. You know, she kind of had, you know, the, you know, the, the common history of board games that we all did, or the majority of us did when we were little playing the, you know, common board games, you know, like, uh, what would you say? Like checkers and shoots what, and ladders. What, yeah, what, what game do you think, uh, stands out for you the most? Like, do you remember from your childhood the most? Candyland. Candyland? Candyland. I am very fortunate to have a twin. So I've always had somebody to play with, which is great for gaming. You never had to find somebody across the street or next door. I always had a playmate. So we played Candyland a lot. Uh, I remember as a child, my uh, sister, I caught on. She would uh, shuffle the cards and put the candy brittle card on top and want to go first all the time. And it just so happened every time she went first, she would get the candy brittle card. I caught on pretty fast. What a coincidence. Yes. Uh, but I loved the game. It was uh, about candy. So it was appealing to, to me. And uh, we yeah, got... Too, too bad that wasn't a fruit game or something. You could say appealing. Right. <laughs> it's appealing. Exactly. And uh, we got it for Blake, and I was really excited to check it out. But when we started playing it, the candy is different. The board's different. It wasn't the same as when I was a child. The old-time candy now became gummy worms and today's candy. So it just changed it for me. It's interesting how we remember games from our childhood and then they totally change when we get older. Is uh, one of the games that I remember most vividly from my childhood is a game called Dungeon, that I used to play with my friend Luke all the time. I mean, we would play it over and over and over. And I think I even—I don't know if I got my grandma to play, but uh, I'm sure I probably lured my mom and neighbors into playing also. And that game just got reprinted just about a month ago. There's there's a couple of things, and I've mentioned this before in the show, where I'm scared to open the game that I've got because I don't know what's in there or who's in there. And at the same time, I'm kind of nervous about trying the new one because what if it's not as great as... Kind of like the Candyland experience. Exactly, exactly. You know, where, you know, some things are, you remember them more fondly (laughs) than... It's like that left, it's best left in the past. Yeah, maybe. Because it's the same thing with video games. A lot of video games that... I remember from when I was little, I just loved them. I just used to play them to death. And you play them now, and you're like, this is junk. Right. <laughs> it's just it's just not quite the same. I never, uh, I used to, uh, like, Pac-Man and all the old-time games. Pac-Man, yeah. And uh, what was that other one where you would uh, move the guy back and forth and very popular? Centipede? You were shooting the mushrooms and the little bugs coming down? Yeah. Um, And then when Nintendo came out, I basically played Mario Brothers. And the other stuff just got too complicated. And that was as far as my board, my gaming, as far as video gaming went. Right. How about board gaming? Board gaming, you know. Did Did you guys do that just occasionally while you were little? Or is that something that you guys did a lot? 
Um, we did a we had a lot of games. You know, I remember Operation. The, that one I remember because it scared us. It was almost like you played it. You didn't know why because when the buzzer went off, it like gave you extreme anxiety. I'm like, this is a torturous game. I don't know why we're playing this. And I remember, you know, Pictionary. We played with a group. I remember my parents having friends over and then playing Trivia Pursuit. Oh, that was a classic. Yeah, I remember my dad introducing me to Battle Battleship. Oh, yes. And he had the old version, and that was pretty neat. But other than that, um, played Uno, Old Maid, the simple games I remember from my childhood. But they were simple, but I loved them because it's about who I played them with. Childhood memories. Um, that's what made them. I don't think it was so much the what kind of game, but it was who I played the game with. Oh, absolutely. And I know sometimes when you see the games, it just sort of like makes you smile because <laughs> it brings us back those fond memories. And it's like, yeah, and I mean, you're like, yeah, you know, that was awesome. But it wasn't even really about the game. Exactly. It was about spending the time with your friends or your relatives, loved ones, and all. Like I just went on uh, and found. Piddly Wings, which I played with my Nana, which I loved, and pickup sticks I've been looking forever. I found those online. But it just, I, I want to get them because it just brings me back to that great place and great memories. And I want to share that with our son. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So now in the past couple of years, I've been introducing you to uh, some of the hobbyist board games. You know, we started out with some of the basics, you know, nothing too crazy because I know some of them are pretty hardcore, really complicated, and they take hours and hours and hours. Uh, what uh, what game do you remember most from when we first started playing games? You first introduced me to Dominion. What did and you think? I, you know, I thought board gaming was just something you did when you were a kid. Um, I didn't know that these type of board games existed pretty much um nor did i think i would enjoy them because they're kind of like adult games as opposed to the kitty games but as adult games i even thought like trivia pursuit was like an adult game you know you have party games you know then you have group games well i guess it's the same as party games yeah, um, in the hobbyist circle sometimes those are like four letter words <laughs> right but this <laughs> is like a whole a whole different world a whole different like hab it is a hobby for a lot of people, um, they collect them. They are very passionate about board gaming. It's like um, a whole different world that I didn't know about until you exposed me to it. Uh, Dominion, I, I liked. It was like a lot of cards, um, a lot of options. It was brand new to me. So it was way different from any of the games I played. So I think I'm going to remember that as my first favorite because that was the first exposure I got. And that one, you know, if, if people want to get nitpicky about classification, it doesn't really have a board. <laughs> it's just a, it's exactly. a pure card game. Yes. And actually, those are the ones that I seem to like the most. So my second, well, my now favorite has been is Ascension. Um, with each new edition, I like it more and more. It has a little board, but most of it is about the cards. Right. The board really doesn't even count in the game. It's more about just placement of things. Right. And you got to keep them tidy. Monsters, you got heroes. Um, I just like it's fast moving, and it is you know, it's not a hard game to learn. It's pretty easy to pick up, and 
the interaction with the cards and that that's one of the things that's really interesting and but by the way the one that we're playing now is immortal heroes i believe that one's just hitting the stores now that one's awesome yes. a favorite it, it's definitely my favorite and also and we've gone and pretty much mixed all of the other games together you know the ones that can be mixed because uh, immortal heroes is an expansion to storm of souls like return of the fallen was an expansion to the original uh god slayer uh version of ascension but this one we don't even mix because it's oh no that good by itself i think exactly i, I almost don't want to go back to the old ones <laughs> <laughs> yeah because well we haven't exactly we haven't touched even storm of souls which we're playing pretty regularly but Storm of Souls, we haven't even touched that since uh, I picked up Immortal Heroes back at Gen Con. The one thing that's pretty cool about a lot of these card games, in particular Dominion, Ascension, etc., is that you get an interaction with the cards where the cards react differently to each other, where, you know, your your hand might consist of, you know, card A, B, and C, and then they work nicely together. And in some aspects, you get control of how the cards work together. I mean, you know, whether you, let's say for an, an, an ascension, you choose, you know, to take more heroes than, what's the red guy's, red card's name? Answers. Fighting power, isn't the red card fighting power? You got heroes, right? There's heroes, monsters. Right. There's soul gems. Okay. Well, there's fighting cards. power. There's the fighting power. The red fighting power. Right, okay. Go on. Um. See, I know the game better than him. Yes. See, I don't play, you know, get bogged down with too many games. They're my favorites. Um. So depending on how you play, if you, you know, what you choose in your hand kind of can determine the outcome of your game. You have some control. Right, whereas the games that we grew up with, you really don't have any of that kind of stuff. Because like when you play checkers, right? Well, checkers you know, is you know strategy, but like Candyland, you can't control if you're going to pick a purple or a yellow. It, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah, that's why they call them roll and move. Yeah, you roll that die and you move, and then that's it. Hundred percent luck or chance or whatever you want to call it. Well, that's why they call them kitty games. Absolutely. That's <laughs> well. <laughs> I don't know if they call them that, but we definitely do. Right. All right. So, uh, you know, and then after uh, Ascension and Dominion, we kind of started branching out to different kinds of games. And uh, lately we've been starting to do actual board games a little bit. You know, initially we tried Turn and Taxis. We did uh, um, uh, Ticket to Ride. Stone Age. Stone Age. We did a whole bunch of that. And I think the the latest one actually is Tempest, which is... I'm sorry, not Tempest, it's Courtier, which we're going to get on. Uh, it's one of our main games for the end of the show here, or towards the end of the show, later on. <laughs> How much later on? <laughs> How long do these things go for? <laughs> well, we're doing pretty good right now, because we're about 20, 25 minutes into the show already. Oh, wow, now. we haven't even got to the games yet. Yeah, I know. Okay, let's get to it. Oh, heck yeah. Okay. I just want to give a shout out to Carl, who uh, Rob read his post, and I really liked his honesty and some of the things that he said, I often think myself, 
I sometimes see Rob playing a game by himself and I'm not understanding how somebody plays a board game by themselves. Um, it is a little strange. It made me a little nervous and I did think something was wrong with him. Well, but, thanks. <laughs> but I also see that I am the type of person that ha- has no, doesn't have a lot of patience for somebody to read the instructions and figure out the game with me. So a lot of the times, I, what I figured out, Rob does that so he can uh, know the game and explain it to me fairly quickly, and we can start the game because that's the most fun part. So remember, we tried, I think it was St. Petersburg. We tried that one the first time. I didn't go through the rules very well. I just kind of skimmed them, and then we tried to play. And I, I was reading the manual because I wasn't sure what we were supposed to do at one point. And I think you kind of basically said, I'm not playing anymore if you don't know the game. That's right. I like fast moving. I don't like reading the directions. They make no sense to me. Just tell me, you know, they're dice. They're, you know, they're all called something different in a game. But to me, they're the same. Just call them dice, you know. I don't need any weird names. I don't even know the names of half the games you play. I just know it, that's the dice game. That's the card game. To me, that doesn't really matter the name. The, the, the game with the trains. Is, <laughs> the game with. Right. The concepts, you know, are pretty much the same, just called something different. I I need to, I'm a visual learner, so I just want to see the game played out and not really read the directions. And I pick up fairly quickly, wouldn't you say? Oh, definitely, definitely. So basically what you're saying is, even though you didn't necessarily like me playing game by myself, you want me to do it so I can teach it to you later on so you don't have to wait. Right. Just cut to the chase, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is that it? Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks again, Carl. That was a really good uh, comment that you put in. All right. So you ready to start talking about some games? Let's go for it. All right. So a couple of games that uh, um, we've been playing lately. Actually, there's been a whole bunch that we've been playing lately over the past couple of weeks. Uh, some of the more notable ones we'll talk about here in a couple of minutes. The first one that we're going to be covering is a game called Las Vegas. Now, one thing that's interesting about this game is it used to be called Vegas up until recently. Now it's Las Vegas. If you look on BGG, the name has changed. They've recently done a second printing, and I guess that's where they switched the name. So Las Vegas is a game by Rudiger Dorn. He is uh, a pretty well-known designer. He's done a whole bunch of games. Uh, a couple of the ones that are in his repertoire that he's done that have been pretty popular are Goa, which just got reprinted, uh, I think it was this year or late last year, by Z-Man Games. Then also Jambo, which is a cool little card game. And, uh, of course, Vegas which uh, was a nominee for the Spiel des Jahres International Game Award, although unfortunately it didn't win. So this game came out in 2012. It plays two to five players, and they say it takes about roughly about 30 minutes to play the game. I don't know how 30 minutes. Well, time, it, it time seems, flies when yes. you're having fun sometimes. Yes, it does. Although, you know, if you're playing with five people, I could see it maybe going 30 minutes because yeah. you've got... Definitely a lot more, a lot more people playing. Then uh, suggested ages are eight and up. 
although we've actually had pretty good success with our four-year-old son playing it. Yeah, he loves it, and he, he catches on pretty quickly. So, you know, don't always look at the age on the box. You, oh. know, you know your child, and, you know. Absolutely. You might need to do some house Modif- rules for the game. The modifications, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, the, the little guy definitely has a lot of fun with this thing. Now, he's the same way. He wants to play the dice game. Now we have to figure out which dice game he's talking about. Because, yes. again, we don't remember the names of the game. We just know how to describe them. Oh, exactly. Okay, so in the box, you get uh, a number of dice. There's uh, five different colors of dice. Uh, you get casino cardboard mats. There's six casinos in the game. Each is a different color, and each has a different die face on it. So, you know, one through six. Uh, I've got to say, just I'm just going to bring this up. Uh, the components are colorblind friendly because I'm colorblind and I struggle with some games. Yes, so, he does. I literally had to, um, what was the game? Corkle. Corkle. I had to put letters of the color because he is having quite difficulty with the green or the red and the orange. I thought he was cheating, but. And blue he, and purple, oddly right. enough. But he has a handicap, so I helped him. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Much appreciated. So, uh, yeah, colorblind friendly. Um, and then also there is money in the game. And what's interesting is that the money is actually cards. Denominations on there are anywhere from uh, 10000 to 90000 So setup for the game is pretty easy, Very wouldn't easy. you say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, basically you just shuffle the money and then you lay out the cardboard casino mats in some sort of order. And then you lay out the money you keep flipping money until there's at least 50,000 in each casino. So the casinos will have anywhere from 50,000 up to, I don't know, what do you, what do you think about 90,000 usually? Yeah. Or no, sometimes a little more. Yeah. We've had some, you know, big hands. Yeah. And some will have, you know, one card, others will have three, four cards. Then uh, everybody takes the dice that they choose to play with. And when you're playing a two-player variant, you actually take four additional dice. So you're, uh, normally the hand is eight dice. And then when you're playing with the two-player variant, you actually play with 12 dice. Because uh, one color gets split amongst the players. So each has 12. It's like a neutral. Absolutely. And uh, so setup is fairly quick. Probably takes a minute or two to set up. Yeah, let's let's start. Uh, you know, with how the game plays. So basically, what you're looking to do in this game is you're rolling your dice, and then you, let's say, you roll your dice and you get a one and five fives and six sixes. Okay, so let's say you're rolling twelve dice. What you would do is you would take all of the like dice. So all of the ones that have the same number on them, and you would put them on that casino. So if you roll six sixes, you put all six sixes on the six-numbered casino. And I like that you get to choose and decide which which group or which pair you want to put on. You're not oh, yeah. forced to, but you know you can choose where you want to place your dice. Exactly. And the goal basically is to have the most dice on a particular casino and if you win that you basically get money from the casino and we'll go into that in, in a couple of seconds 
because there's a, a little bit of a special rule to that. So you put them all out on the on the play mat, and then the next person rolls, and, and they do the same thing. So ultimately, you're looking to collect the most amount of money, right? Yeah, I would say. And I guess when you go second, you're at an advantage because you yes. know where the first person put their dice, and now you can try to overtake the casino so it's yours. Versus oh, yeah. going in blindly like the first person does. Yeah, the first player definitely does have quite a large disadvantage. But it goes back uh, in three times? It, it, you rotate. You basically well, go I, through. Yeah, how much is there's how many four, times? There's four rounds in the game, and every round the next person Yeah, so is I mean, it is, it's fair. You get, but I'm just saying when you do play and you're second, that's the fun time. Uh, when you're on a casino and you're actually doing the scoring at the end of the round, the person that has the most dice on there, they're the ones that get the first money card, which is usually the highest money card. If there's more than one card, the person at second highest and count, they get that card. So you don't necessarily need to be the highest number of, you know, die on a, on a casino in order to get the money. You know, you can, you can come in second or third or maybe even fourth if there's four cards in there. Granted, they're probably not going to be very much, very high in value, but Everything at least adds you up. get something, yeah. And if there's two car, or if there's two players that have the same amount of die, dice on the, uh, on the mat, they cancel each other out. That's one strategy. If, if you're looking to take somebody out and keep them from getting a big card and you know, winning the game, you can actually tie them if you play your dice right. So it plays pretty good. You know, there's been um, a couple of reviews that have kind of knocked this game. Really? Yeah. Mm. You know, primarily because, you know, of the, what you had just said where, you know, you can have a great, you know, role and then the people coming after you can kind of steal that from you, you know, just because there's such a huge advantage to the person, particularly the person that goes last. The last player in the round, right. they have the most advantage. But it's also the, the role of, the dice. You can't control what is rolled. Right. You can control where you play some, but you know, I think that it's luck. It's fun. I mean, it's a no brainer, fun game. Oh yeah. I remember that what Rob likes to do if I don't want to play games, I'll be like, No, no, I'm tired. He'll start taking out the game. I'll be at the table and he'll start taking out the pieces and the parts. Hey, look at this. And I'm like, I'm not looking, I'm not playing. Well this particular night in Las Vegas our son was at um, my parents' house for a sleepover, so we had a date night. We are going to go to dinner. I'm hungry, you know. It's 5, 6 o'clock, and he wants to show me this game. I'm like, not now. Let's go to dinner. But he did his usual thing. We took out the pieces in the game, and he's like, look at this. And I started like, oh. She loves dice. <laughs> I love the game. I mean, we. I'm like looking at the clock. I was really, really, really hungry, really wanted to go on a date for dinner, but I'm like, Let's play again. Let's play again. Let's play again. We actually didn't leave for two hours after we started the game. I loved it. I oh, didn't yeah. want to leave it, but I was hungry. I'm surprised you didn't ask, you know, like, hey, let's order a pizza and get it delivered. <laughs> no, we, we, we had a nice dinner. Yeah. We haven't been out that late for dinner in a long time, and we're not used to 45-minute wait. Yeah, right. We go at 530 because we have a son. Yeah. But because of Las Vegas, we had to go to another restaurant. And eat like at 8, 8.30. But it was worth it. That's right. It was fun. Oh, yeah. So uh, 
Is this a game that you think you could recommend to people? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's fun. It's our son loves it. It's simple, and you know, it's just like you get to be in Las Vegas for a while. You know, yes. it's not really your your money, but fun. It's a fun game that I think you can introduce to just about anybody, gamers and non gamers alike, exactly, and even people that aren't board gamers at all. They can pick this game up pretty darn quickly. I mean, it's uh, it's just a fun game all around, and like like we were talking about earlier young kids can get into it they don't necessarily play by the rules is our son blake has a a cool little i don't know variation to how he plays where he basically loads everything up on the sixes oh no so it used to be the ones it's what actually yeah ones or sixes <laughs> so you know he'll roll you know a six and two three ones or something like that and he just puts everything on on the one or the six for whatever reason. In fact, when we were playing, I actually avoid those. Yes, <laughs> just, me too. Just because you we know just, he's going for them. Yeah, you know he's going for the ones or the sixes. So he's Wendy so and I battle predictable. it out. <laughs> but he's having fun, and he's the third person that you need in the game. Yes, we don't have to use the neutral. Oh yeah, although there's some people that swear by the neutral, the neutral color, where they basically say no matter how many people are playing, you play with that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so it, it adds a little bit of complexity that's cool. to the game. I wouldn't mind trying that as well. Oh, yeah. All right. So that's Vegas. Yes, thumbs up. Thumbs up here too. Okay, the next game that we're going to talk about here is a game called Hanabi by Antoine Bauza. Uh, this is a game that came out a couple years ago in 2010, and it, was, uh, it wasn't really readily available in the U.S., but it's a game that got a little bit of uh, play in the past couple of months. So uh, we decided to check it out, and it was it was pretty interesting. So the game is by Antoine Bauza. It was released in 2010, uh, rated for two to five players. And it's a card game. It takes about 25 minutes and is suggested for ages eight and up. So... We played a, a a number of games of this, and this is a really a really interesting game. It's it's pretty much a, a pure card game. So, what you get in a box basically is a number of cards. There's uh, fifty cards total, ten each of red, black, yellow, green, and blue cards, with the numbers one through five on them. So there's a certain distribution of those numbers. Like there's more ones than there are fives. There's three ones in each color and one five and uh, everything else is uh, two each. And then you play the game with eight blue tokens and three red tokens. And uh, setup for the game is pretty easy. When you're playing with two players, everybody gets five cards each. Now you shuffle the cards, you deal out five cards to each player. And with this game, you don't look at your cards. You have no idea what your cards are. So when you hold them, you hold them facing out. So everybody that you're playing with can see them, but you can't. And this is a cooperative game. Uh, the goal of the game, basically, is you want to go and build five stacks, one of each color, of numbered cards going from one to five. So one in the bottom, five on the top. And then the where the discs come in or the tokens come into play is you put the tokens, the the blue tokens, into the lid of the box. And then you leave the three red ones 
next to the box. And the tokens basically function as uh, the red ones are for mistakes. So you get three chances, three strikes and you're out, essentially. And the blue tokens are uh, used for actions. So when you play your turn, you have the ability to do uh, one of three things. Number one is you can give information, meaning that uh, you can choose a player, any player that you want, and you can give them information by about a specific card number or a specific card color. Meaning if you choose to give information about the number one, you have to say, you know, you have a one here and here. You have to tell them all of the color. So if they have three ones, you have to tell them all three ones. You can't just choose a particular one. So you have to give information about all of whatever you're giving information for. Or you can do color and say this one and this one and this one are blue. For example, okay. And then if you give information, you have to take a blue token out of the box and you put it next to the box. The other action that you can do is discard a card. So you take one of your cards that you have, and again, you don't know, you haven't seen these cards, you just see the back of them, and uh, you take that card and you discard it, and you draw a new one. Whenever you discard a card, that's when you can put one of the tokens, the blue tokens, from outside of the box back in the box. So if you kind of see, there's an interesting little mechanism over there where you can provide eight pieces of information, rather the, the players can provide eight pieces of information to each other before they have to start discarding the cards. And that can kind of get kind of hairy, don't you think, where, you know, all of a sudden you either have to... It's hairy and scary. Yes, hairy and scary. <laughs> because now you're being forced to discard something. Maybe you don't want to discard anything right. or you don't know what you have. Right, it puts you out of control of everything basically oh yeah you have to go with your gut and which one to discard and, oh exactly and try to remember the information what the other player told you and then the third option for what you can do is to play a card where you choose a particular card from your hand and you play it in front of you on on the cards you know again they're they're colors they're different colors five different colors they're available there's fireworks on the cards and a number you know, at the beginning of the game, you need to place down ones. So you, you play a card and you play it in front of you. And if let's say if it's a one, now you can start that stack. You can't have more than one of the same color out. So let's say if there's a blue one and you played a blue one just now, well, that does not work. You can't do that. If you make a mistake like that, that's when the red tokens come into play and you take a red token and you put it in the box. If you put the third token in the box, the game is over, and then you can do kind of a little scoring. The, the scoring is kind of interesting where you basically go through and you count how many cards you have stacked properly. And they have an interesting little scoring mechanism uh, where if you have zero to five cards placed properly, your quality of presentation, which is what they call it, is horrible. And the crowd is booing. <laughs> if you have six to 10, it's poor, barely any applause. If you have 11 to 15, it's honorable, but nobody will remember it. 16 to 20 is excellent, charms the crowd. 21 to 24 is extraordinary, engraved in the crowd's memories. And 25 points 
which means you placed five stacks of five cards properly is legendary. The crowd is speechless with stars in their eyes. Yeah. So this is a a really, really interesting game, I think, where it's a cooperative game with all the players that you're playing with. And it introduces a, a mechanism that I haven't really seen in too many other games where you're really relying on other people. Did yeah, I mean, I think it's about, it's a trust game. And it was kind of cool to play it with you to see how our minds worked alike or if we were on the same page and trust as to why we were giving details about a card. Was oh, it to exactly. get rid of it or to play it? So the first time we played, we didn't do so well. Oh, no. I think we got four cards down, maybe five, and it's which, a, it's which really, is actually horrible according right. to... But, you know, it was our first time playing it. It's odd holding your cards backwards. I have small hands. I definitely recommend some kind of card holder. (laughs) Yeah, Um, that's probably one of the... uh, It's uncomfortable. Yeah. One of the gotchas for this game is that when you're holding the cards for your own viewing, usually you can switch them into a pile when when you don't need them, and, you know, then you can fan them back out when you do. In this case, you kind of need to leave them out. You know, so Rob kept time. fixing Emma Lefty and the numbers. I was hiding yeah, the numbers <laughs> and he kept fixing them. And I was so focused on keeping my hand a certain way, you know. So I said, we have to get a card holder. This is exhausting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because there was times where, you know, I, I couldn't see what one card was because it was being covered by other ones. And, you know, when you're not looking at the cards, you don't know. Right. And. I guess that's the only thing that we can really knock this game on. Oh, I thought it was really fun. It was really different. And we played it, you know, several times and finally got in sync with each other as to why we were giving the information we were giving. It's almost like a trust game. Oh, exactly. Because you have to, when the person provides you some information, they'll tell you, okay, this card is blue. And then you're looking like, whoa, okay, it's blue. Why are they telling me about this particular card? And then you're looking at the table, okay? Well, there's a blue three, which is a top card, you know. Is this one a four maybe? Or, you know, are they telling me... To get rid of it. Yeah, that to get rid of it because they told me it was a one before and, you know, do I remember that it was a one before? And that's one thing that kind of helps too is to reorganize the cards. Yes, definitely. Don't you think? Yeah. And to, you know... you helped me out with when I took a new card to place it on the opposite side where I didn't have information. Yes. Right on that card, but I had information on the other. Yeah, um, that's so a really that good helped. tipper there. Yes, so that helped a lot. You have to have a good memory as well. You know, you're adding cards and trying to remember, you know, you're given information about you know, three cards already, and then when it's time to play them, you got to remember what was that information I was given. Oh, and, and the gotcha, too, is that you might remember your cards and then all of a sudden you're forced to discard because there's no more blue tokens in the box. So you're forced to discard. And it's like, okay, uh, which one do I discard? Okay, let me discard this. And then that changes your organization. Yeah. And if you don't keep on top of things, then you, you kind of lose track. And cause that happened to me once or twice, and mm-hmm. I wound up discarding a five. Yeah. The bad thing about discarding a five is that there's only one five of each color. So if you discard that blue five, 
It means you're not going to get you're like not, a 25. You're not yeah. going to be the hero and the legend. <laughs> exactly. We, we Actually, got, that's we true. Six, we got a 16. Right? Yeah, 16, which is excellent. Charms the crowd. And that took a while, but we got there. Oh, yeah. And I'm excited to play it again. I want to get to the 25. I know. But you're right. If once you see that five, you know you're not going to be the legend of the game. Exactly. Well, you can either start over again or just play the game to have fun and know that you're not going to get the 25. I've heard stories of people playing this game where they just play it over and over and over trying to get that 25. It is motivating. At first, I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, let's play again. And then let's play again. Yeah. Kind of addicting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, challenging. And you get to work together, um, which in most games, you're working against each other. So it's kind of cool. Oh, yeah. And uh, speaking of playing against each other, there is uh, uh, there's a new version of this game, which is actually a double game using the same cards. The cooperative version of the game is Hanabi, which is what we played. And then there's also a competitive version called Ikebana. So uh, it uses the same cards. There's more tokens in Ikebana. That's something, again, that we haven't played yet, but it would definitely be interesting to check out since Hanabi was so awesome. You know, at least we hope that Ikebana is similar, right? Yeah. I mean, I like to see how a game can change. You know, I'm open to that. I think that's exciting. You could play a game multiple ways. Oh, yeah. So that, that that's absolutely cool. And who who would you recommend this game for? Couples. I think it's a great couples game. Um, I'm not sure, you know, playing it with more people than you and I. I don't know how that would go. I'm sure probably change the game a lot. Because you can play it two to five. Right. But, you know, we can read each other. I don't know how it would be with playing with a stranger or someone I didn't know, but it would be kind of cool. That's part out. of the fun. Exactly. I mean, I liked playing you and I, but I would love to add more players and see how that works. So, I yeah. mean, I recommend it to anybody. I mean, I definitely like is too young. Or oh, for sure. Um, so, eight, I think, is actually young. So, maybe get it. But um, any couple, you know, you get people over. It's just like a fun, a fun game. You know, it's fun. It's pretty straightforward since you can only, you only have like the option of three things to do, but it can get surprisingly thinky Yeah. where you're just sitting there kind of thinking like, okay, what should I do? Which one should I tell her about? Because none of them are really good. You know, it's not like I can tell you, here's a blue one and you know how to play the blue right now because you couldn't play any of them. And it's kind of like, well, okay, do I give some information or do I just discard a card? Because, you know, we've only got one blue in the box. You know, it's it, it gets a little thinky, you know, not too bad. I don't think uh, people would get like analysis paralysis oh, no. with this game, but uh, it, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I yeah. highly recommend it. Yeah, definitely check it out. Different about teamwork. Absolutely. Okay, the next uh, group of games here that we want to talk about is actually some new games coming out from uh, AEG, and uh, they are in the Tempest universe. So for those people that aren't really familiar with Tempest, basically what it is is it's a shared world that uh, AEG created where they pretty much created all of the characters, the backstory, just kind of a timeline with it also. So they created all that, and then designers can use that uh, to incorporate their games into and the interesting thing about that, too, is that then there's actually a timeline. So uh, of the four Tempest games, there's there's four of them that are coming out. They have all debuted over at Essen Spiel, 
2012 recently. And these games here uh, follow a timeline. So the first one is Courtier, uh, followed by Love Letter, and then Mercante, and then Dominare. So today we're going to be talking about two of those. We talked about uh, Dominare back in our Gen Con episode. So today we're going to be talking about Courtier and Love Letter. So we've had uh, a couple weeks to play these games now, and they're they're really really interesting. So you know, starting off with Courtier first. Courtier was a game that was designed by Philip Duberry. It was uh, released by AEG, of course. Uh, it plays two to four people, and uh, plays in about forty five minutes or so. I, th- I think all of our games so far have gone a little bit over, but we've pretty much been taking our time playing this game. So what? Uh, Courtier basically is, is it's an area control or area influence style game where you get uh, a really nice board with eight sections to it, which are different uh, coteries. I think I said that right, didn't I? Uh, yeah, I think you did. <laughs> Courtier, I was, I was looking at early, I was, I was practicing because I, I seem to have trouble switching back and forth. Courtier, coterie, Courtier, it's like a tongue twister. It, it is. It definitely is. So the board is uh, split into eight different sections. There's the Senate, the Royal Family, Minister, Church, Commerce, Military, Culture, and Athenium. So each of these different sections has different characters, different people inside of it. For example, the Senate has the Magistrate and Palatine. Now, these are all people that are out of the Tempest universe, and you can actually... Uh, go up on the AEG site and, you know, read all this backstory about the people. So this is kind of interesting. And an added plus, I think, is that normally an area control game has countries or, you know, landmass or islands or, you know, whatever. This is people. So it, it's almost a little more personal, wouldn't you say? You know, it, it's like you can connect with it better since you're saying, well, you know, here's the prince. You know, I'm trying to take control over the prince, or here's right. The I mean, minister. the characters make sense. I mean, it, it yeah, it, it it's just different, you know, yeah. versus Risk or, or something like that. Exactly. So there's the eight different sections on the board, and each character then will have anywhere from two to five spaces on them that you play influence markers. Influence markers are going to be a little wooden cubes that you have at your disposal. See, like I said, they're wooden cubes. They're dices. Whatever you want to call them. I just know them as red cubes. Okay. Then uh, in addition to that, uh, you get, of course, the cubes. Then there's uh, a number of different colors. There's five different colors of cubes. Also very colorblind friendly. Thank you, AEG. And then there's a number of cards. There's petition cards, influence cards, power cards, ability cards, and fashion cards. So power cards will basically allow you to kind of like influence different areas. Maybe, uh, actually, I, let me take that back. Uh, they will let you do certain things. For example, uh, you'll spend an influence marker to place a courtier on, let's say, the commerce coterie. Or it'll let you discard cards or it'll give you victory points. So that's the kind of stuff that they'll do. The influence cards will let you go through and influence different areas. They'll tell you either uh, place an influence marker on the Senate or the minister 
or the culture area. So they'll be either generic like that, or they'll tell you to, to place an influence marker on a specific person, like influence the painter, influence the jeweler, the oracle. All right, so, and then those are the two main cards that will be in your hand. Then there's the coterie control ability cards. So when you have the most amount of markers within a particular coterie, you will gain control of that coterie and each one has a special ability. So there's a couple of them that are pretty interesting. So there's eight total. Uh, the Senate gives you 10 victory points at the end of the game. Uh, that's pretty cool. There's a royal family. The royal family has an interesting twist to it where other players cannot bump you out of other areas if you control the royal family, but they can bump you out of the royal family coterie. The minister one is awesome also. This is one that I think we regularly fight for where the minister, as soon as you control that and you get his ability, you can use his minister card in place of any other card when you're completing a petition. And I'll get into the petitions in a, in a brief second here. Uh, the church, <clears throat> that's another one of my favorite ones. What the church lets you do is to place two markers when you would normally place one. So if I have an influence card of, I don't know, the painter, instead of dropping one cube, one influence marker on him, I'll place two, which just happens to be great for the jeweler because he only has to, so you fully control him. Culture lets you have a victory point at every turn, so you bump up your marker on the uh, score track. There's a score track running from 0 through 20 on the right-hand side of the board. Commerce lets you pay one influ influence cube at the start of your turn to place a cube anywhere on the board. And then Anthem, that one is pretty cool also because it lets you discard a card at the end of your turn. And uh, Military. Military has some uh, pretty cool powers where you get to do cards twice. So those are the ability cards. Uh, petition cards is the type of card where you're trying to complete those. They'll have anywhere from two to about four different people on there. Like, for example... There's a petition card for the magistrate, the banker, and the patron. If you control, if you fully control all of those, you get nine victory points. So each one has the people on there, and then it has a victory point value. So, And then uh, the last cards are the fashion cards. These are cards that are resolved at the end of every petition completion. And what they pretty much do is they fill up, at least majority of the time, is they'll distribute in a... Uh, neutral influence cubes all over the board. So this really helps to, you know, let people complete the petition. So the first, I don't know, about 15 minutes of the game, you're kind of just distributing your cubes along the board or your markers along the board. And then once the first petition is done, I think that's kind of like where the game really starts. At least that's the feeling for me because, you know, all of a sudden there'll be a fashion car that goes you know, it gets uh, completed where it'll say, you know, put a cube on every mark on every person that has at least one player cube on it. So then all of a sudden, you know, there's like a dozen cubes that get put out and it really helps the game along, I think. Yeah, it does. It picks up the pace. Oh, yeah. So when you're playing the game, basically you start off with five cards. And actually, there's an interesting way to start the game where there's a, a min little mini auction. 
Yeah, we didn't do that the first time, but yeah. I liked that we did it the second, and then there forward, I thought it was fun. Oh yeah, because they tell you in the rule book, the first time you play, kind of skip this and then choose uh, three influence and I believe two power. So it's three and two as your for your hand. So you have five cards in your hand. When you do this little mini auction, each person goes through and they choose five cards out of the power and influence decks. So you, I usually like to choose uh, five influence or four influence and one power. Yeah, I've tried it a couple couple ways, taking maybe two of the influence and three of the power. And I've tried several different combinations, but obviously you have to win the auction. Right. So every character, or I'm sorry, every player goes through and they make their choice and you play or place these cards out in front of you. But it's easy. Then, it's kind of easy to decide. I knew that you wanted influence cards. Yes. And so I knew that if I picked power cards, it really wasn't going to be a fight. Big auction for my cards. Right. We didn't have to duke it out yet. <laughs> At least not too much. Yeah. Because the interesting thing about this is that you start off with a certain amount of influence markers you start out with 15 and the rest are in your reserve. There's 25 total in the game. And you bid with your starting 15. If there's a little bit of a battle for a particular card and then whoever wins it really loses out. So, for example, if Wendy drops down two cubes on a hand and I really want that hand to outbid her, I have to put three down. So the person that wins the bid, they lose those cubes. So you're at a disadvantage then because now instead of starting with 15, I'll start with 12. You know, that can really hurt you later on in the game. So that's a cool little mechanism for starting off. Then once you start playing the game, you just basically start playing your influence cards and you start taking control. I think this last game that we just played... I kind of drove you a little nutty because I took over the church right in the beginning and then I locked myself in there by taking control of the royal family. I just sat back and couldn't make a move, couldn't win. I got pretty frustrated. I'm like, okay, you win. <laughs> well, because the church lets you drop two influence markers uh, when you play each card. So instead of one cube, you put down two. And then the royal family, that one kept me from being booted out of the church. So if somebody really wants to, you know, take over the church, they got to boot me out of the royal family first, you know, take control of that. And then they can get rid of me out of the church. So that was my, my little trick over there. And I was trying to use the minister quite a bit. Yes, you definitely did that. And another interesting thing that we're doing is there's a recommended two-player variant. The two-player variant actually plays with a third person where at the end of every player's turn, you draw an influence card. And if that influence card names a specific person, let's say a minister, you choose uh, another color in the game and you play that as a third person and you place that in addition to the, you know, the cubes that you might have placed for your turn. So this is done by each player. Now, what I want to say about that is... When we first played that, or we first played the game, we didn't play with the third fake player. And I loved the game. I wanted to play again. When we added in the fake third person, 
that is when it got very, uh, the game got very complicated. I got overwhelmed. Um, you're now playing your turn and having to play a fake person's turn, which I don't want him to get anything good. I don't want to, you know, make sure that he's getting, winning the petitions that he should. It was too much for me. I, and I couldn't be loyal to the third fake person because he's fake. I don't want him to win. I didn't care about him. So it changed the game for me a lot, having to take my turn, which, you know, you have to figure out strategically where you want to go, what you want to do, and then you have to now do a, uh, a turn that uh, is fake, I guess. I don't care one way or another. And then um, so you have to then look for if he can win any petitions. It just got overwhelming for me, I guess. Yeah, it is a lot of work. That's the best way I can describe it. The third player is there to kind of mix up the, the board a little bit to get another color out there to make it busier so you can start fighting for stuff. It was really busy. Yeah. I was fried. It, Mentally it, fried. It's just a little more work because, you know, especially initially when you're not used to the game, you're sitting there, you just completed your turn. Now you're completing the turn of this other player and you have to look to see if they completed petitions or not. So you're pretty much aware of, you know, the positions that you have, but now all of a sudden it's like, okay, you know, where's this guy? Okay. Does he have this? Does he have this? Does he have this? No. Well, okay. So now he can complete these two petitions and then you have to choose the most valuable of the two for him to complete and, you know, I, I think maybe after a lot of plays with it, it's probably not that bad. But, you know, I, th I think we're going to try it again without the third player, just the, the you know, straight two-player variant. I think the game's going to go a little bit slower, but... And also, you definitely need a card holder. So basically, because you have these cards laying down, the petitions, um, laying flat on a table... Um, so we actually use like a box to stand up the cards. Oh, the petitions. Yeah. Yeah. Because it just makes it easier. Got, yeah. And we've got the cards sleeved. So, uh, you know, the, the glare from the sleeves doesn't help when, you know, the cards are like three, four feet away on the table. I would play it again. Um, only with the two player. I, I, the third player invincible person just really wasn't for me. And we've had to use invisible people or like in Las Vegas. Yes. Um, and that didn't bother me. But here it was just too much to concentrate, too many cards. I yeah, mean, I, I just felt exhausted. Yeah, I think it's just because of all the, you know, I'm going to say it again as extra work that you have to do. I'm also new to gaming, so. Yes, and I think this is the first uh, area control game that you've played. So it's an introduction into a whole new type of gaming. And it's cool also that it combines cards, which is something that, we, we tend to enjoy a lot of card games, you yes. know, especially with, you know, like uh, just to rattle a couple off the Dominion Ascension, Dragonheart is like, another one. Like the one more with like, you know, the pigs and the animals. I'm not really, I mean, that's kind of uh, area control, isn't it? When we've used, done some games where you had to have animals. and. Oh, you're thinking of uh, the all creatures big and small. I think that's the one you're talking about. Where had the horses, the cows, the pigs, right. the sheep. Yeah. I, I rather have cards. Yeah, you're, you're definitely a, a card gamer. Yeah. I enjoy those too, so no issues there. And, and then the next game that we're going to talk about, Love Letter, that's a card game. Love, so you can, love, love, love letter. Yeah, so yeah, you can, that's a little spoiler, I guess, of what we think about that game. Well, the name in itself is awesome. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
What what girl? Let's say your spouse. Hey, you want to play Love Letter? Just the name is like, yeah, you know. I like the name. I thought it was awesome. The game's yeah. awesome. I love the game. See, I tell, I tell you, that's a, that's a spoiler. We'll, I'm we'll telling talk you guys it. right now. I mean, either I'm gonna love it or hate it. I'm just really like that. Um, but I love the game. I play it all day long, over and over okay. and over again. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, I can't, over, I can't control myself. <laughs> all right, so that's courtier. Uh, you basically play it until the fashion cards. Every time you complete a petition, you gain victory points, and then you turn over a fashion card. Again, I said earlier, usually they distribute neutral cubes throughout the board. And when you get to the fashion card that says the queen is arrested, that's when the game ends. The game ends immediately. Then you just tally up your petitions, you know, the victory points that you have on there. You add the score track count on there that you might have gotten throughout the game. And then whoever has the most victory points wins. So that's pretty much Courtier in, in a nutshell there. So w- what do you think overall about Courtier? I would try it again. But, and I don't know how it would be without the fake player with a real player. So again, it's about, I would play it with you and I. Forget yes. the fake player. And I would try it with real people. But I don't like the fake person. Okay. Because uh, Courtier, so far, we've only played it two-player. Correct. Yeah, we have not played it with a real third or fourth player. So I think that we should playing review it. With, it playing, again. you know, we'll do an update. We'll we'll get uh, a victim or two to play with us, and I think that you'll enjoy it with the third or fourth player because because they're unlike taking care of their the own fake turn. Player, unlike the fake player, you don't have to count their stuff. Exactly, I agree. Yeah. It was just too busy. And I think one thing that you had mentioned a couple of times in the past too, was that uh, the game actually goes pretty quickly because you're always doing something. You are always doing something, but it's a long game. I mean, we were playing for, I think like an hour. I was exhausted after. But because again, we're new. I'm trying to figure out who has what and what moves I can make. But I think that again, as a new person to gaming, that is just, you know, me learning a new type of game. I've really got to say that I've kind of had a love-hate for area control games for a long time. I tend to get bored with uh, area control games because a lot of them tend to go really, really long for hours. So somewhere around the third hour, I, I, I lose interest and you know I'm looking at my phone and we, we played uh, one at Gen Con where I think around the third hour, my phone was dead. I had burned up the battery on that thing. I didn't have my charger with. And I mean, I was just sitting there. I'm like, oh, come on. And the game was finally over. I'm like, thank goodness. But this game over here, I think, has really changed uh, area control for me because it moves quickly. The games aren't too long. Um, There's a little bit of a a cool battle for different areas on the board where, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the neutral player kind of fills it up. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, you know, I control, you know, the, the, bishop now and i can complete this uh particular petition so i'd have to say that at this moment courtier is definitely one of my favorite area control games or actually uh, i'm gonna say right now it is my favorite area control game uh it was definitely a pleasant surprise definitely pleasant surprise so uh who do you think that this game is good for 
Maybe uh, not, 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 not necessarily I'm not like the new right, gamers. Yeah, I'm not the right person to ask that. I don't have enough experience, so that would not be a fair question to, okay. for me to answer. So I'd say it's probably uh, a good introduction into area control. You know, area control is not for everybody, but I definitely enjoy this game. Really good stuff. Uh, I don't know if it's good for kids. I'd say that the age range on this game, which was, uh, let's see, 10 and up, uh, I'd definitely say that probably holds true. Maybe you can kind of squeak out a year or two younger than that. Maybe, but uh, it's definitely not a game that we'll be introducing to our son, Blake, who's four and a half. <laughs> now, he would love playing just with the, the uh, He'd be pieces. cube pushing. Yeah. He'd be pushing cubes all over. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's so this game is one that we'll be playing again and uh i definitely give it uh, a thumbs up okay the next game is uh the subsequent game in the tempest series so courtier comes first so the next game is love letter it comes after courtier so with this backstory courtier starts off with uh, a little talk between the prime minister and the king and the uh, actions of the queen are kind of brought up into question by the prime minister. And at the end of courtier, it ends with the queen being arrested and because that's the last fashion card. So love letter comes in where love letter now follows the story of, of the princess, princess Annette. So princess Annette is really upset that her mom has been, or the queen has been arrested so she holds herself up in the palace, refusing to see anybody. So the players of Love Letter, they basically take the role of people trying to get a love letter over to Princess Annette and bring some joy back in her life. So what's interesting about this game is the game only has 16 cards. And I was kind of curious to see how could a game have only 16 cards. I think this is what gets everybody well, let me let me tell you something. See, you're a gamer. And see, I'm not. So I'm like, 16 cards, this is great. How hard could this be? Yeah, it's definitely easier to learn, especially after playing Dominion, where like, I think the base Dominion has like 500 cards or something. Right. So you, you know, were probably thinking, how can we have fun with 16 cards? And I'm thinking, this is up, this is up my alley. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. So, you know, it was it was definitely a surprise. So the game will have eight different characters in it. And so there's a little bit of a distribution of the characters. Uh, there's more of, of some than another. Uh, they are guard, priest, baron, handmaid, prince, king, countess, and the princess, Princess Annette. How you play the game is you shuffle the cards, which is pretty darn easy because there's only 16 of them versus having to shuffle 200 cards. So you shuffle the 16 cards in a normal game, you remove one card. If you're playing with two players, you remove three more cards. So in a two-player game, you remove four total. Each player gets a card as their starting hand. And then at that point, uh, the first player draws the top card of the remaining deck. And you look at your cards and you discard one. Whatever card you discard you carry out the actions on that card. For example, the guard is an interesting card. There's That's uh, the one that there's the most of in the deck. And with the guard, uh, you name a card. So let's say if you're playing a two-player game, 
you name a card and then the other person, if they have that card, they have to discard. If that is the card that they have, they're out of the game and you win a, a, uh, a little uh, token of affection, which is little red cubes. The other cards in the game will have different abilities. For example, um, there's some where you compare cards. Let's say if you have uh, the, I don't know, the princess, which is a value eight, and the other person has a guard value one, you automatically win the game. There's other ones which protect you, like the handmaid protects you from whatever card the other person tries to play on you. There's uh, the priest, which allows you to look at the other person's hand. So there's an interesting like chaining that you can do. Like you can say, for example, if it works out just right, you can have the priest where you look at the other person's hand and then you play the guard, which you cause them to discard because now you can guess their card. So there's an interesting little mechanism that you can have if, if you luck out and you chain them just right. So you play the game up until uh, one person gets seven tokens of affection, then the game ends. And these rounds basically go pretty darn quick. Like 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, the, the full game goes 15 minutes. Actually, that's what it's rated for. And it's addicting. We're like, you yeah. know, let's play again because it is so quick. You can get a lot of games in and um, it's fun. It's just... It, it is a lot of fun because I find myself... You know, I try to guess one of Wendy's cards and then, you know, it's, it's not it. Then it's like, darn, you know, I, I, I missed it. And we had some games where I would play the guard, you know, like the first card and I would guess the card immediately. It's like, oh, round's over, token of affection. Then we play again. Oh, I get a guard again. You know, what luck? I guess it again. Rob was saying you actually, um, you shuffle the cards more than you play. Sometimes, definitely. You know, you spend 20 seconds shuffling the deck and, you know, distributing the cards. And then all of a sudden the game's over immediately. But I mean, that's part of the fun. It's like, darn. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't, you know, I just lost. It's like you get that, that excitement or thrill. I don't know. Like, oh, shocks. Yeah, exactly. You know? And you don't find a lot of games that give you time to do that. You have to yeah. wait till the end and count them up. But here oh, you yeah. get an instant win or lose. Yeah, it's, it's, it's. I don't know if I would say it's a very emotional game, but it, it really lures you in where a lot of games you're sitting there and you're kind of like, okay, you know, I'm plotting my move. I'm, you know, gonna try to do this than this. Whereas love letter is like super fast and it's like, Oh, got it. All right. Or, Instant gratification. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, for sure. And, you know, the game is rated at playing only 15 minutes and that's like right on. I, at least with uh, like a two or a three player game, it might go just you know a minute or two longer, now, maybe with no. We four haven't players. we haven't tried a third player that would also switch it up a little bit. I think yeah. and would be cool to try. But I there's some games where I love that there's just you and I. Yeah, and it would be hard for me to add the third player because I don't know what it would do. But it probably would change the dynamics. I might like it, it, it better. Does. Um, I, I've played this I one. At, <laughs> I've played this with coworkers at work. Is uh, another fantastic thing about this game is it's so small. It's very portable. You can put it in your pocket. You know, you don't even have to put it in a bag. Sixteen cards fit in just about anything. So I've I've had it at work, and the interesting thing about playing with more players is that you tend to get into kind of like a grudge match where it's like, all right, this person just came after me. I'm gonna get them. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, because I mean, some of the games that, like Dominion, I mean, it could take like, you know, 15, 20 minutes to set up the cards, you know, because we do play with different, different decks now. Um, and setups can sometimes take a long time for a game. Yes. This is just like, whip it out, let's go. Oh, yeah. You know, in the course of half an hour, you can get two to three games in easily, very easily. So Love Letter, um, just to give a couple stats on the game real quick, because I didn't do that earlier. It's uh, designed by Seiji Kanai. Uh, it came out uh, this year, at least the AEG version came out. There was a prior version from Japan Brands. It came out this year, two to four players, and they say it's eight and up. And I think that that's probably you have accurate. To, you have to read the cards. Be able to read at least. Yeah, and or at least to know the interactions. Because, I mean, it is... Even though it has so few cards, I mean, it is a strategy game of sorts, you know, where you have to say, okay, you know, I've got this card and that card. I really need to play this first card because it, you know, is a tactical advantage for whatever reason. Right. So that's Love Letter. Uh, Definitely an interesting game. It's a game that I think really shines when you play it fast is, you know, it's kind of like the addictive momentum of the game where you're like, boom, card. The other person plays a card, then card, card. Oh, I lost again. And then you shuffle, play it again. You know, the, the faster you play, I think the, the, the better the game is just because the excitement is, is kept up. Also, the portability of the game is a huge, huge draw, at least, because you can basically play this anywhere. There was uh, some talk on BGG where they were actually playing it uh, walking down a hallway. You can't say that for very many games. So you can probably play it walking and like still be in the game. Well, it makes me happy. It takes up less space on the shelves. Um, and that makes me happy too. Right, because so you can, you can more. buy more games <laughs> to fill up the empty spots. For sure, <laughs> for sure. So that's uh, Love Letter. Definitely a fantastic game. Yes. It's, I would definitely recommend it. Would you recommend it? Yes. And I love the fact that, you know, you went from courtier to a simple card game. You know, they both kind of have a storyline. It's just like two different extremes. It's two different kinds of games, and they use the same characters. Right. It's really cool. That's what I thought was so neat, that the game was changed up so much from I, what I thought was complicated to something so simple. So I thought that was really cool with the storyline. Two totally different ways to play a game, but following a storyline. Oh, yeah. Very cool. And then there's two other games following this. Right, so I'm looking forward to Mercante and Dominare. Yeah. Dominare is another area control game. Okay. Um, kind of a, a different take from Courtier. Mm-hmm. Definitely fun. So we'll hopefully talk about those in a future episode. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. So Love Letter, another fantastic game. Uh, thanks AEG and thanks uh, Seji for making such a cool game, such a unique game. Another thing I want to talk about is on November 18th, I had a chance to go to the Chicago Toy and Game Fair, also known as Shy Tag. Basically, it's like a little Gen Con for kids They've got all sorts of fun stuff for kids to try out, lots of games, some rides. Some big players are supposed to be over there. Like this year, unfortunately, Hasbro didn't show up. Uh, Toys R Us was supposed to be there on Sunday, but I don't remember seeing him. 
and uh, it, it was it was pretty interesting. Some of the more notable things that we saw when we were out there, because I was out there with my uh, son Blake and my uh, father and mother-in-law. So some of the more notable things is uh, Banana Grams was over there. Yeah, it's Banana Grams. <laughs> uh, Chicagoland Games, which is one of the local game stores here in Chicago area up on the north side. Uh, they had a presence out there. There's a fire truck slide. This big, huge, inflatable fire truck slide was over there. That thing is awesome. Unfortunately, my little guy was a little shy about going up there. Then uh, there was a huge, huge, huge word on the street game. I think at these events, you need to have a huge version of something somewhere. So this time around, uh, it was uh, word on the street. Uh, then other than that, there was a Jeep course where kids could drive little motorized vehicles around. That, that looked kind of fun. Uh, there's the Mayfair booth, of course. Uh, thank you, Mayfair. Uh, I won a contest from them and got free tickets to get in there. So Mayfair was in there. They were demoing a lot of games, and they had a large uh, Catan board over there. Got to have a massive board, I guess. Uh, Out of the Box was over there with some of their products. Smirk and Dagger was there. They had a presence. Smirk and Dagger, a couple of games of theirs that you might have heard of are Hex Hex. Uh, I believe that came out this year or maybe last year. And then there was uh, Sutaku. They had that one demoed over there where it's uh, you stack the dice. Dice stacking game, I guess. Cutthroat Caverns is another one. There's a couple other ones that they had also. I think they were probably one of, uh, what, three companies in our hobby that uh, that we might know of. Then we had Razor Scooters. They had a really cool setup where it's kind of like a big wheel, but the rear wheels were casters and they had, you know, the polyurethane wheels. So when a kid would, you know, make any kind of turn, this thing would spin out. So kids were riding, doing test rides on this thing and it looked like a heck of a lot of fun. The interesting thing was that you had to sign a waiver to ride this thing. I wonder if you re- if it was really, really a waiver or if it was just a way to collect people's information. I'm sort of thinking the latter, but you never know. And then there was Rio Grande. And then for those of you that have been at some of the other conventions, at least the big people conventions, there's the loud Rio Grande guy, which isn't really Rio Grande. So... They had their little booth over there, and it's the same setup that they had at Gen Con, where it's like a little cave that you walk into to pay. So basically, they had a ton of games. A lot of them were really deeply discounted. Like, they had Puerto Rico for 12 bucks. Puerto Rico. That's crazy. Too bad I already had a copy. Otherwise, I would have snatched one up. And they had some other deals, you know, along with cell phone chargers and <laughs> all that other stuff that they sell. But they had, a, a you know, a pretty decent inventory of stuff. And uh, stuff was marked down pretty good. Uh, I did overhear a little bit of a conversation saying that uh, it's actually some eBay seller with over 10,000 sales. So definitely isn't Rio Grande. It was a lot of fun. My little guy had a blast. Um, Oh, we did wind up picking up a few games uh, from Patch Games or Patch Products. I think it's Patch Products is the name of the company. They make uh, a couple of games uh, that you might have heard of, like Farkle, Wooly Willy, Buzzword Blunders, Buzzword Junior, Word Shout, Malarkey. 
But uh, the ones that we picked up was they have a division or a line called Big Little Games where there were these fantastic little games. I guess they, they retail at nine bucks according to their website. One of them is Flinging Frogs. This is a cute little game where all these games are teeny tiny. I mean, they um, are maybe you know about the size of a five by seven card. That's how big the box is, maybe like two, three inches thick. So Flinging Frogs, how that one works is that you have these little plastic frogs that are kind of, you know, um, concave or convex. I don't know. Anyway, like, like you put your contact lens on the, on the table, that, whichever one that is, and it's got a little tab on it. So you basically depress the little tab, and then when you uh, release it, it, it jumps. So you have this container, which then doubles into a four-tiered uh, lily pad, and basically your goal is to fling these frogs onto the lily pad, and there's different levels. Their levels are 10, 20, 30, 40 points, and then at the top level there's a little flower that gets attached, and that's 50 points. So you have three tries. There's three, uh, four colors, three frogs in each color, and it's uh, it's actually surprisingly fun. You know, Not something I want to play 100 times a day, but it's definitely better than Sorry Sliders, the Cars version. <laughs> Then the other game that we got from them was Spurtle Turtle. Uh, interesting little game, kind of a cute game. It's a different type of matching game where you have different uh, sea animals on these little disc coins, and all of these go inside a turtle. There's a stack, I think, of 10 on each side. So there's a button in the middle of the turtle. You press it, and then these two discs shoot out the bottom of the turtle. So Blake loves to just jam on that button and these things go shooting out onto the floor. I don't, I don't know if I like that, but because, you know, but he loves, uh, he loves hitting a button and getting those things flying out. So then you just turn them over and you try to match, you know, the seahorse to the seahorse, turtle, turtle, and all that good stuff. So typical matching game with a little bit of a twist where the twist is the deployment of the matched uh, coins. And then uh, there was a, a third game we'd, didn't get a copy of that because they were sold out by the time we got there on Sunday. That was the last day of the show. Uh, it was called Super Shooter Basketball. Basically, you get uh, this like little catapult-looking thing, and you shoot basketballs into a hoop. It's a you know a fun little kids game. You know, all are kind of a little bit of a dexterity thing. You know, you got to aim right, and uh, they're fun. They had them on special over there. There were three for ten bucks or five dollars for one so you could easily get all three of these for 10 bucks and uh you know so uh that was patch products that was probably our, our best thing that we came away with from the show and it was uh it was it was pretty cool i'll definitely want to go back next year and uh, have blake kind of check out the stuff you know a little a little older hopefully he'll go on the rides a little bit more actually not a little bit more he'll go on a rides period but uh it was definitely a lot of fun if you're in the Chicago area, you know, and you got kids, you know, definitely take them over there. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot for us adults, but, you know, what are you going to do? That's why we have the other cons for us. One thing we'd like to introduce uh, this week is a new segment. Let's call it uh, Wendy's Question of the Week. I love this. I get a spot and I get to ask a question. My question to all of you is, why do you play board games? What is it? Is it the is it the thrill? Is it 
to relieve stress? Is it to get your mind off things? Why do you board game? Uh, I just want to know what, what it does for you or what part it plays in your life. And I would love to hear your feedback. All right. Thanks. Uh, we'd like to hear from you guys. So there's a number of ways you can respond back to this. And that's uh, through our website. You can use the new voicemail widget that's on there and leave a voice message. You can also uh, contact us through email at contact at this board game life. And then also on the BGG guild. I really look forward to hearing your feedback. So doing a little recap for what we talked about today in the show, we covered Las Vegas, not Vegas. It's now Las Vegas. Uh, this is a family friendly game that we can pretty much recommend to just about anybody, even smaller children can, you know, at least have some fun rolling lots of dice. You know, they might not make the best strategy decisions, you know, putting the dice down, but hey, it's a lot of fun and that's what, you know, gaming should be about. So both Wendy and I loved it and we would recommend it to just about anybody. Uh, Hanabi is a game that uh, we really, really loved. Wendy said that it was a great couples game. Both of us are interested in checking out to see how the competitive version of it, uh, Ikebana, uh, plays. So we're looking forward to that. Also give this one great marks and recommend it to anybody. From then, we went and we covered the first two games in the Tempest line. Uh, we covered Courtier. This is a great area control game. I love it, uh, and it's currently my top area control game right now. I was asked in the forums if I think it's better than Dominare. Uh, I haven't played Dominare uh, in quite a while. I played it at Gen Con, and it was a really late-in-the-day play. Played it So we didn't get to play a full game over there. You know, we got a, enough of a plan to kind of get an idea how the game plays. I really, really need to play that game a little bit more in order to say, you know, give it a, a fair shake against uh, Courtier. But, uh, you know, I, I think both games are, are pretty darn good. And, you know, especially after the Dominari first look. Uh, Wendy, it was her first area control game. Uh, looks like she was a little, um, you know, overwhelmed by some of the actions in the game, particularly when you played with the third ghost player in a two-player game. We're looking to get, you know, more plays in with more people so she can get a better feel for it. I found that playing without the ghost player, you know, the game was pretty good, but, you know, it moved a little slow. It didn't have quite as much action as we had with the ghost player. But, you know, Wendy prefers to play it that way. Uh, then from that point, we went on to Love Letter. You know, Love Letter is an amazing little game. We're basically in love with it, where it's a 16-card game. Uh, game which is very unusual but this thing's a lot of fun the faster you play it the better it is so try to sit there play it as fast as you can you kind of get into it and uh, it, it's it's a blast it's it's totally awesome they say it was the bell of the cons that it was taken to Essen and uh, BGG con and you know it's easy to see why this is another fantastic game definitely definitely give this one a shot all right so that concludes episode 23 i hope you enjoyed it uh, we covered a whole bunch of really cool games and uh, we'll get back on our regular schedule 
now, and uh, we'll have episode 24 out for you soon. I'd like to thank Wendy for joining me for this episode. It was her podcasting debut, and she did a fantastic job. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun playing all those games, you know, doing, uh, let's let's call it research, <laughs> research for the podcast. That was a heck of a lot of fun. And also uh, thanks to my son, Blake, for also helping me do research. So, uh, and he's, of course, a gamer in training. Don't forget that we'd really love to hear from you about our question of the week that Wendy posed earlier in the show. You can uh, leave a message on our voicemail system, the new one on the on the main page of thisboardgamelife.com. Or, of course, you can always uh, send us an MP3 or do it the old-fashioned way through email. I can't believe that's old-fashioned. Yep. Uh, do it through email or on the BGG Guild. Just respond to this uh, show's posting. All right, so that concludes episode 23. Uh, hey, thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you all next time.